Blog Talk Radio. It's the Gridiron Studs Show and the promo that's got the flow. Football knowledge from toe to toe with Amo, Talamino, and the other host. You already know Chad Wilson brings you the show. Dial us up. Give us a call. We're waiting here to talk some ball. 347-633-9365 is the number to call. So don't sit around. No time to stall. Giving you football from wall to wall. And now we give you our two hosts. Amo and Chad with your breakfast toast. It's the uh, Monday after the Sunday that, uh, you know, ends all this football stuff we've been dealing with all season long. It's the Super Bowl Rap Show here on the Gridiron Stud Show. Chad Wilson and Emil Calamino here to break down for you and wipe all the tears of Seahawks fans who had to deal with what was the, the, uh, the play call to end all play calls. How about that, Emil? Was up there, my friend. You know, you know, I'm a big, big Pete Carroll lover. But and he didn't call the play, but he's in control. And to me, if I'm the head coach, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, because you've you, you've been on the sidelines, and I know things go on. It's easier when you're sitting, you know, mm-hmm. sitting on your TV. But to me, I'm in that headset and saying, listen, I don't care what play you call, but it better be a running play. Uh, I don't know if you do that. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's what you do. As well, that's what I'm asking you, you have, for. Do you do that? Yeah. Because, I mean, for me, it yeah, seems kind of obvious. You, yeah, you have coordinators. Uh, you try to let them do their job. I guess, though, as a head coach in these crucial moments, you uh, you, you do kind of uh, maybe you slide in there and, you know, I, you know, perhaps if they had another timeout, if they had two timeouts, that might have been a situation where you as a head coach here to play call come through and, you know, um, wisdom prevails, whatever, you know, and you say, hey, well, 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 hold on, you know, maybe we don't want to do that, and if there's a little back and forth, you know, you got a play clock running, you take a timeout, because right. this is obviously a very crucial play. But from what it sounds like, and, you know, he may be just covering for a coach who's going to go through hell right now, um, he did say he agreed with the call. He used words like we, and the reason was uh, because of the personnel that was on the field. Uh, apparently the Patriots had a heavy defensive personnel in there, and the Seahawks had a pass-friendly personnel in there, and they felt like they had a matchup. They had a matchup win there. So, well, but let difficult. me ask you this, and everything's always, you know, hindsight makes everything in life clear. So, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, we already know the result. Um, but let me ask you this, just as a coach. Is the play you want to call, and I know what coaches, coach speak is, well, the match matchup dictated, but is the play you want to call there something in a high-traffic area to the center of the field, or if you want to throw the ball, do you want to go with something safer, maybe like a fade to the corner where if he misses it, it's, it's out of bounds, hopefully. If you know he's a good quarterback, you would think he can control that more. I mean, well, I'm asking that's a you. heavy amount of, when we're talking about the actual play call, that's a heavy amount of Monday morning quarterbacking going on. That If that play is caught... Uh, genius play, you know, this is what you run down on the goal line, blah, blah, blah. To me, uh, experiences told me when you get down into the red zone, specifically inside of the 10-yard line, it's about your your best players. You've got to get the ball to your playmakers. 
I would have been less angry if they would have split Marshawn Lynch out of the backfield, split him out wide. And, and threw him the ball. The football. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's your best player, your playmakers. It's tight down there. It's tight down there. It's usually down in there. It's one-on-one matchups. And that what what was the Super Bowl um, other than uh, an exploitation of matchups? The whole game was that. And when you get down there inside the red zone and it's tight like that, it's about getting the ball to your playmakers, man. Um, you know, as, as we quickly go back to mine, last year's college football championship game, not the one that just passed, but last year's, uh, Florida State got down inside the 10-yard line, uh, pretty much your last plays of the game. Jameis Winston drops back, throws the ball to Kelvin Benjamin. It's about your playmakers, and that's really the route. You, you can't be throwing that ball to that guy there. You know, well, that's just, I guess you know, I guess what I was going to ask you is, you know, I watched that whole game yesterday. I'm being dead serious right now. If you mm-hmm. said to me a million dollars, name the Seattle Seahawks tight end, I couldn't do it. And I'm being serious. I mean, and there was maybe no I have a ten- for you to even know that they didn't throw him a ball. You know what exactly. I'm so so um, I don't know their tight end. I know their receivers only accidentally because Curse made a couple nice plays and the kid. I, I, I still forget the kid's name, number thirteen, who had a good game. Um, Mm-hmm. So here's my thing. The two best players on the Seahawks are obviously um, your guy there, Wilson, and, and Marshawn mm-hmm. Lynch. So there's yeah. only a few things I want to happen down there. Most likely I want the ball at Lynch. But if you insist on not giving it to him right there, mm-hmm. I want Wilson with some kind of run-pass option where he can just tuck it under maybe and head for the end zone if he sees an opening. I don't want him just – I don't know. I just – it's not the way I want to lose. If I lose, I'd rather say, hey, Wilson tried to run it in, and he fumbled on the one-yard line. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Or even you empty the backfield like you did earlier in the series um, where you had a big play, so now they've got to really pay attention to that, and you have Russell Wilson run the ball in. Uh, just do a quarterback lead. There's just a lot, of things, I didn't, a lot of things I didn't understand there in that, in that the, the thought process besides the pass as far as you know, you and I are talking about your best playmakers. Say you pass it in. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at, at a certain point, you if you if you miss on the pass, it stops the clock. Let's say it's not mm-hmm. it's not intercepted; it's incomplete. The last mm-hmm. thing you want to do there, if you don't get in, is stop the clock because you have a timeout mm-hmm. in your pocket. So if you mm-hmm. run the ball, you use your timeout. Now you got two plays from the one yard line anyway, and they're going to be the last two plays of the game. Time is insignificant at that point. I, I just yeah. I don't. I just I, I think though, I, listen, it boils down to this. I think on the last play of the game, given the you know, who you are as a Seahawks, knowing your personnel, I would think the last thing you would do is Russell Wilson pass from the pocket. I mean, that's the last thing you do. Um first you well, probably he's a deep run passer, Lynch. first of all. He's not Tom Brady or Joe Montana per se that'll drop back and dink and dunky and put the balls on. Not that he can't do it, mm-hmm. but that's just not his game. When he throws the ball, mm-hmm. It's usually to do damage, even in this game. I mean, with with the poor receivers he has and the matchups that didn't look in their favor, obviously, he still was able to complete some 30- and 40-yard passes. That's his game. Right, right. Um, they, you know, they could better see downfield like that, but just not a pass from the pocket in, in, in tight quarters like that. Yes, um, first thing you do is probably try to run Marshawn Lynch. I think the second thing you do is empty the backfield out uh, and maybe you try to throw a ball to Marshawn Lynch. You know what would have been great there? Um, a screen to Marshawn Lynch. I mean, they, a screen pretty much says, you, 
at worst, you're going to end up with a one-on-one tackling situation. I fully expect him to win that. Well, I fully yes, expect him to win I that. totally agree. And the things you said pregame, uh, I did notice watching that game. I mean, New England does does not have very fast linebackers. I mean, and mm-hmm. he exposed them on the first play. You know, on the first play of that drive, he caught a 30-yard pass. I mean, right. No, yeah, no, no doubt about it. If it's me, the first thing I'm doing, though, after that play, you hurry up to the line, go ahead and hand the ball to him. It's very, he's hard to tackle, for crying out loud. He's shown that all season long. He showed that in this And he doesn't and fumble. Stuff. I mean, really, the guy... The guy. Amazing that he doesn't. It, um, he, if anyone should be fumbling in this league, it's him. As much as he, he tries to ramble on for extra yardage after contact, he should be the one with the most fumbles in this league. Um, but he, he, you know, he doesn't, amazingly. That just goes to his strength. But I'd line up, run that ball, um, have him go in there and beast it and see what happens if you don't make it. You call a timeout, and then now you examine all these other plays, the rollouts, the empty it, the, you know, all that, all that good stuff. And you had 30-something seconds. So, well, um, since, I don't since know. you and not I have nothing original on this, because let's face it, right now there's about 99.999% of the country, including women who don't even watch football, that know they should have ran the ball. My daughter was watching the game with us last night. She said, why didn't they run the ball? I mean, you know, and she's mm-hmm. not exactly what I'd call a football fan. So, with that, let me let me throw a different angle out here as I watched this game and I saw it end last night. Something came to my mind more as a sports fan. Um, mm. And I think most most of us are like this in sports. When 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 it ends, you know, games, you, you I always like to feel that, you know, the superior team won. It doesn't always happen. Mm. And you know, mm. that that so I started thinking back first of all, uh, just this year on a micro level. You know, we had, you know, the whole Cowboys-Lions thing. Then we went to the Cowboys-Packers thing. Then we went to the deflate gate. Now we went to this goofy ending. And, you know, I hate to say this because I always like to think that, you know, I think to get to the playoffs, you've got to be a good team. But I actually think the NFL has gotten their sport to the point that there's just a lot of randomness as to who wins. Um. Ye- yes. Now you know your conspiracy theorists have come out. You you do. You no, do I don't know. I don't know. I don't think about that. I, I, I have no conspiracy they're out theory. There. I hate that, but they're out there and people. That's are not where I'm going with this. No. Oh, I know I that. Know. I know that. I know you don't believe in that stuff. But no, I don't believe. There's too. Listen, out. you're giving people too much credit. When you when you could, most conspiracies would take too much skill, more much more than the people that you think are committing the conspiracy have. Okay. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. But uh, just wanted to alert everyone to that. But no, I'm, what I'm saying out, is, I may be out today, and a conspiracy theorist might wrap you in. I think the sport's gotten to the point where parody is one thing, and I'm not sure the parody. And I, I, I think I sent you an article. Jason Stark writes it every year. Major League Baseball has more parody than the NFL. They've had more different champions. They've had different playoff teams. This whole notion that they like to say parody, there's not a lot of parody. He went through it. You know, the, the the Patriots have been in the playoffs 14 or 15 years in a row, something goofy like that, or 14 out of 15. The Colts, 12 out of 13. Um, the Seahawks, 9 out of 12. Even the Cowboys, who made the playoffs for the first time in five years, in the last 24 years they've been in the playoffs 13 times. You don't really right. have a lot of di- – you know, the NFL likes to sell this whole – Anything can happen. Guess what, Jacksonville Jaguar fans? Anything can't happen. You're not winning the Super Bowl next year. Oh, man, don't say stuff like that. You know? It can't. They like <laughs> to go back to the Rams, 
when the Rams came from nowhere, but they were building something, and people hadn't noticed it, and they didn't know about Kurt Warner, and that was a, a one-off. And they always like to point to the, the two giant teams that won that got hot. But both those teams had tremendous defenses, had a lot of injuries, and got healthy at the end of the year. But that's not the norm in football. What really happens is the same teams tend to get there every year. <laughs> or very close. Uh, by and large, by and large, that, that ends up you know being the case. But you know you do get other teams in there that – Jump in there that aren't part of the establishment. So you get a Carolina that jumps in there that that has a chance. It's almost like the NCAA basketball tournament. You know, every year they have a chance some... until they don't have a chance, Chad. They have right a chance when you get in there. They... When you get in there with the big boys, um, yeah, you you kind of run out of steam and gas. But there's just that chance, and that's what you're looking for that chance. And uh, I mean, I mean, I think I read this. There's this. That was the 49th Super Bowl, right? Right. I forget the number, and I'll pull it up on the break, of, of how many teams have actually participated in one won a Super Bowl. It's something like eight teams own like 80-some percent of the titles. Is that right? But, yeah, it's something real. I'll, I'll, pull, it, I'll pull up the exact number for you on break because I was reading this yesterday. And I just I, what I'm going with is I think the parity that they're looking for is not there. I think the same teams are there. But I think to a degree, and this is where I go back with my preaching on these rules, I think they really need to look at them because I think they've added a, a, a randomness to who wins that isn't what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I watched uh, some of the, the game last night. Seattle couldn't cover New England. Part of the reason you can't cover these guys like Edelman is the rules. I mean, <laughs> you, you know. Did you see that? What in the rules helped with that? I don't. I don't know that that was the case. I mean, listen, you can't um, redirect these guys. They did a really guys. good job of getting these guys in space. They did. A they really did, good job but you can't. But you can't. You can't get up really and get on these guys like you used to because you got to be concerned that if you get six yards down the field and you still you're still redirecting that guy, they're going to throw a flag for illegal defense, and we're going to oh, give you an automatic come on, first Amo. down. Does Brandon Browner look like he's concerned anything about those flags that they might want to throw? He could. No, he doesn't. But all, all I'm hey. trying to tell you is. I just think that the, I don't know what the fix is, but but I noticed this year. Listen, if you want to go with karma, and I'm a big believer of karma, the New England should have won last night because Seattle got basically just as lucky to get there as they did unlucky to lose it. No one that has uh, been involved with, watched, or thought about the whole deflate gate for the last uh, week, ten days would agree with what you just said. In terms I understand because they they go that. with the whole theory of I know New England and and if you want you know what and there there's even another point and that may be the case. So I guess what I'm saying is the game as good as it was, it left me unfulfilled. It left me feeling like I don't know who the the best damn team was this year. I know New England's got the trophy, but I'm not mm. sure they're the best team. And I wouldn't have been sure I'm not if Seattle came back and won because I'm sitting there saying, well, hell, you needed a miracle to get there. <laughs> Uh, perhaps, you know, uh, maybe that's a, is that a, is that such a bad thing? You not know, not, not for entertainment purposes, it's not, but I'm looking at this as a sports fan and a guy who played and loved sports like you. I like to feel like I, here, here's the thing. I looked this up last night. New England has been to six Super Bowls, right. six in the Brady Belichick era. Not one okay. of them was decided by more than four points. They won four of them. They lost two of them. Now, I'm going to give you something. I didn't go back to the Steelers. I only went back to my own team. Cowboys dynasty run. Nine games they played. They won three Super Bowls. Not one playoff game was decided by less than double digits. The closest game was Mm -hmm. ten points. 
in their history, they won five Super Bowls. Closest one was 10 points. They won by 10, they won by 21, they won by 17, 30-some. I mean, when you were done, you didn't sit there scratching your head going, geez, I wonder if they're any good. You were like, wow, they just killed somebody. Same thing with most of the 49ers Super Bowls. Yeah, they had the good one with the Bengals. But when they took the Broncos apart, when they took uh, uh, the San Diego Chargers apart, you were like, okay, I know who the best team is. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just for, for, I like is to that feel what like you want, that. Though? Is that what you want? I like. Listen, when it's over, the last game. I know most people don't have a dog in the hunt; they just want a good game. But I like uh-huh. to feel, even if it's a good game, is that like, not I, what I, we got yesterday? Yeah. You got a great game. That's what we, as far as entertainment. Okay. But I like to feel I know. Wow, that team! You know what? Good for them. They're they're a champion. Like when Ohio State won this year, mm-hmm. I felt like, hey, you know what? They're the best team. They, they they went out. They beat Wisconsin. They they beat they beat Alabama. They beat Oregon. So they what, did. all right. So what you're telling me is so what you're telling me is thirty five ten last night by either one of those teams would have satisfied your soul to say, damn it, man, that's the no. Best I'm not complaining about the specific game last night because, like I said to you, I came away watching these entire playoffs, uh-huh. and they were all very good games, and I enjoyed them. So I'm not arguing right. that point. What I'm saying is, I came away with the whole feeling of with the top six or seven teams this year, I'm not really sure, you know. I mean, I mean, there was just a well, – listen, New England, the first game of the playoffs, easily could have went home, flackled through the pick in the end zone. I mean, I'm watching the mm-hmm. entire playoffs saying there was just a certain, like, lack of domination in it. And you can't just say, oh, that's the NFL, because what I'm trying to point out is that hasn't always been the NFL, well, when the Bears won okay. the Super let me, Bowl, let me call they left it, no uh, doubt. Let me call a timeout on this one. Last year, the Seattle Seahawks went to the Super Bowl, dominated Denver. They're not there if Richard Sherman doesn't reach his hand up and pop a ball away from uh, Crabtree. Sorry, Crabtree, and it's intercepted. If that ball goes by his hand, San Francisco's into the Super Bowl. A couple years before that, San Francisco mishandled, muffed a punt, or fumbled a punt. Right, right. And, 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 you know, someone else went to the Super Bowl. The, uh, uh, you know, we had a situation not too many years ago where the Patriots were playing the Ravens, and you know, receiver catches a ball in the end zone, doesn't put it away, guy knocks it out, right, Patriots right. go to the Super Bowl. I mean, this has been a part of the NFL for for a while, I'm, there's probably three, four more examples I could. Yeah, maybe. On I mean, maybe, maybe you're right. I'm just. I like. I like the days of you know, even teams I didn't like. You know, when I when, when I was done, I felt like, hey, they earned it. Like you know, '91 Redskins. I remember watching them take apart Buffalo. I'm like, yeah, they were great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you're in the you're in the camp of, and there's nothing wrong with this. You you do want to just see one team, um, really just dominate, so you can clearly uh, go home at the end of the day and say, yep. That's a that's a Super Bowl sure. champion, and not yeah, sit here thinking playoffs, uh, not this just, happened not or that just, happened. The other team could have been the best. Yeah, not just the Super me? Bowl, but I like to see them show me a clear path. I mean, even if they have a game where they win twenty four seventeen in the playoff run, I, I don't like it to be like, hey, they won twenty four seventeen, and you know the last touchdown, the ball uh, hit three other guys, flew up in the air, a guy came flying by, caught. I mean. They drove the field and scored a touchdown and won twenty four seventeen. I'm fine with that. I don't think team. you're alone. I don't. I don't think you're alone in that camp. Um, I like to see. I like to see domination. Uh, no doubt about that. I okay. Like well, so you don't think I'm game. crazy here? I mean, no, no, no. You're not completely crazy. Maybe mildly crazy. I think, okay. I, and it, maybe maybe your hardcore sports fan, your hardcore football fan, probably wants to see that. 
Uh, I think your others, and we've talked about this a lot, that you know, you've, you know, the NFL has made it their business of trying to pull people away from their other real interests into their game. And I think a large part of that faction, that group, likes to, to be entertained all the way. They want to be entertained for 60 minutes of a football game, and they're just fine with the game coming down to a play call like that and saying, wow, we were just really, really entertained. And, and we, they really love the side story of, of this right. guy being from western Alabama, and he made the brick play and all that. Where I think, you know, guys like us that have been following the sport, um, we do like to see the Chicago Bears. You know, we do like to see the Washington Redskins that roll I appreciate greatness. I mean, you know, there's something about watching the 91 Skins or my Cowboys teams. Like, when they were done, you weren't sitting there trying to figure out, were they the best team in the league? You knew they were the best team in the league. (laughs) No, yeah, clearly, clearly um, we we had a champion, you know. So, I mean – 2001 Miami Hurricanes. Yes. Uh, you know, the final game was a foregone conclusion, but you can look back on it and smile like, damn, that was one hell of a team. I don't know if we'll yes. ever see anything like that again. And I'm so okay with, I understand you're not going to win every game by double digits. I'm okay with the 24 17 win where you, it was a regular football game, and at the end, you did what you're supposed to do as a champion. You got the ball, you drove it 85 yards, you stuffed it in the end zone you won. But not the 24 17 game where you needed to win because. Like I said, you had a tip pass, and by the way, the other team fumbled inside your five three times. And I mean, it just seems there's a lot of that randomness. And I know, like I said, I'm probably in the minority. Most people, like you said, they just, hey, I was entertained. My team wasn't in it. I don't care. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm a sports mm-hmm. guy. I like to see a team that I really feel, you know, I like to know at the end, hey, there was a champion. You know what I mean? But and I, I just, with that said, Amo, you couldn't have gone into this game thinking you were going to see something like that yesterday. Well, what I you, thought you I would to feel see like was this wasn't going to be that kind of game. No, but I thought I'd see like a twenty-four thirteen type of Seattle type of game. I really expected mm-hmm. more of their defense. Which it, it had every chance of being that. Well, I'm going to say this, and let's talk about it next segment so people stick around. I, I'm going to tell you, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I marked down a key play in the game, and it's not going to be one that most people focus on. But I really felt at this point is when Seattle started on the road to losing. So how about after the break we talk about that? Yeah, well, certainly. Hey, well, great. You know, you're getting good at this whole radio thing. What better time to go to a break than off of that? So when we get back, we'll find out what that key play was in the game that sent Seattle to the road of sorrow. We'll do that more when we get back on the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. You want the truth? Well, here it is. Speed kills, and in no other sport is that true than in football. Speed gets you to the end zone. Speed gets you to the ball carrier. Speed makes you a winner. Do you want championship-type speed? Do you want speed that kills? Then Complete Speed is what you need. Complete Speed is turning athletes into game breakers. With quick and easy methods that are easy to understand, Complete Speed can shave time off your 40-yard dash, make you quicker and more explosive. They have a clear progression, drills, and exercises, along with specific instructions. They also have proven sample workouts and programs for you, the individual, or for you, the coach. Speed is what you need, so hurry now and check out Complete Speed. Just go to gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed. That's gridironstuds.com forward slash complete speed for more information right now. Hey, 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 do you love fantasy sports? Do you love money? Do you love excitement? Well, get ready, because you may have found your heaven. 
FanDuel has combined all of these great things into one amazing website. Turn your love for sports into money and excitement with one week and even one day fantasy leagues with a chance for enormous payoffs. FanDuel pays out over $10 million in winnings weekly to its members. That's right, $10 million. One member has made over $600,000 playing in their league. Another customer entered a one-day contest for $25 and get this, cashed out $25,000 that day. FanDuel even offers a 100% money-back guarantee. Sign up now and join a league. If you don't absolutely love it, they'll give you your money back. You can enter leagues for as little as $1. For a limited time, FanDuel is offering a 100% deposit match bonus to Gridiron Stud Show listeners. That's right, they'll match your initial deposit all the way up to $200. What more can you ask for? Just head over to FanDuel.com right now and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS when you sign up. But you better hurry. The match bonus is going to end soon. Just head over to FanDuel.com and enter the promo code GRIDIRONSTUDS. Do it now! here on the Gridiron Studs Show, 10.25 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh, The Super Bowl for everyone might have been yesterday, but for most of our listeners and those of you who frequent GridironStuds.com, the real Super Bowl is coming up on Wednesday. And just a a reminder or, you know, a programming announcement, I will have a, I guess you could call it a National Signing Day uh, primer show Tomorrow tomorrow evening, looking to do that tomorrow evening, uh, please stay tuned for announcements on Twitter, uh, Facebook, your social media of choice uh, announcement will be made on that, but please be on the lookout for that. A National Signing Day Eve show, Amel, how about that? So we I like that. I can't sort out all the madness, I can only sort out a portion of it, so hopefully I can have a really interactive show with the uh, listeners here that want to call in and, you know... Join in on the discussion of uh, one of the biggest days out there, which is uh, National Signing Day. That's coming up. All right, before the break, you uh, told us you know when this game took a turn for the worse for the Seattle Seahawks, and I'm uh, all anxious, as I'm sure our listeners are, to hear just exactly when the Seattle Seahawks picked the wrong side of the fork in the road. Well, if you remember, there was about 12 minutes left in the game, uh, they had a 24-14 lead. The Patriots got the ball. I believe it was right after a punt. And um, they they go back to pass. Brady gets sacked. Gets sacked mm-hmm. for an 8-yard loss. Uh, it's second and 18. Next play, they got 4 yards, third and 14. To me, this was the play of the game. For some reason, and I have no idea why, uh, the Seahawks defensive line acted like the parting of the Red Sea. And they mm-hmm. just each went let one guy one side went left one side went right. Brady was able to just step up into a nice clean pocket, and he hit Edelman at round midfield for a first down. To me, that was the play. There was still about ten and a half minutes left in the game. Ten minutes. If he misses that pass, they're going to punt it. Still, Seattle's probably going to go work three to five minutes off the clock, and most likely that game is over. Um, that well, play. I do to remember. Me, I I do remember that play, but. Um, they had hit similar plays to this uh, several times during the game. Yes, 
but now that you may not have had that that exact parting uh, of the line, which was significant. I do remember seeing that. To me, that was a huge, huge moment in the game, just from where the game stood, score and time wise. Uh, third and fourteen. You don't expect the Seahawks defense to give up those kind of plays. That's what makes them a great defense. And at that point, you know, you, I, I thought to myself, you know what? This could get hairy for them because I, I had a feeling at that point New England was at least going to move down and kick a field goal at worst, um, mm-hmm. and they scored a touchdown actually. So I, I think that that was one of those unnoticed plays by some where everybody's focused on the very end of the game, and I think sometimes you start to lose the game well before the end when you have a chance to put it away. Uh, no question about that. There's a lot of ebbs and flows in the, in, in in any game, especially one this big, um, and there's probably a number of plays that you could point to, but that is a good one. Um, and, and the fact that they were able to go down there and get seven instead of three, because, you know, they go down there and get three points, and the next time they have the football, um, you know, they need a touchdown. If they get a touchdown, we got a tie game instead of a 28-24 game in which the Seahawks have to go down there and score a touchdown. It may have changed um, some of the calls that were made Especially the last one down. Uh, well, you know, down to and there's a the couple game, plays. You know, so. people are are killing Carroll today, and you know, rightfully so. It was a weird call, but you know, at the same token, they they forget that most coaches at the end of that first half would have just kicked the field goal and got into the locker room 14-10 with six seconds left. There's no way there because if their quarterback even starts to run around back there, they're not mm. going to get the field goal if they don't score. He goes and gets the touchdown. Now, you know, obviously. In most cases, you can't just play the game and change the play. But in this case, it would have been the last play of the half. So the score would have been 14-10 at halftime rather than 14-14. They would have kicked off in the second half anyway, so I'm not sure much would have changed. And at the end of that mm-hmm. game, the final, you know, it would have been 28-20 New England with Seattle needing a touchdown and two-pointer to even tie the game. So, I mean, you know, I understand saying let's run the ball. Hey, you you've got to realize he's – He's quite the risk taker because yes. I'm willing to bet 95% of NFL coaches with this in mind thinking we're going to get the ball to re- we're going to receive the ball in the second half. There are only 6 seconds left. I don't really have a bunch of playmakers at wide receiver and I do have uh the best defense in the NFL that I don't feel, you know, I feel like we'll be able to hold things together here in the second half would have just kicked the field goal. Right, and that's what I'm trying to say. So, you know, as much as we're killing him for what we found to be a very odd play call, sure, we're killing the guy. But we also, you know, then we have to say then, geez, he should have kicked the field goal at the end of the first half just because the results say that he got the touchdown, and we know that now. The truth of the matter is the right play there was probably the field goal. He took an unnecessary risk, as you just said, getting the ball, starting the second half. He could have came away with no points there. So, Sometimes you got to take the good with the bad. That's just the way it works. You can't just say, "Oh, well, I only want, you know, I only take his risky decisions that work." Because obviously, we have the benefit of hindsight in saying we know they worked or we know they didn't work. Yeah, well, you can't you can't uh you really can't do that. That's for sure, but um still that's not going to make up for that call. I understand. I, I mean, Let me hit just, you with this, yeah. by the way. My first segment rant, that was the 49th Super Bowl yesterday. So we've had 49 yeah. champions. Eight right. franchises have won. That, so that's one quarter of the league. Twenty-five percent of the franchises have won thirty-four of those games, which are seventy percent of the Super Bowls. Have been won by twenty-five percent of the franchises. Repeat that and number it, again. Okay, there's forty-nine Super Bowls. 
Mm. Eight franchises, there's 32 in the league, so 25% mm. of the franchises have won. 70% of the Super Bowls. The Steelers have six. The Cowboys have five. The 49ers have five. The Patriots have four. The Green Bay Packers have four. The New York Giants have four. The Oakland Raiders have three. And the Washington Redskins have three. Okay, how does that number measure up to to Major League Baseball, which understandably has a uh, much longer history in terms of championships? Uh, but when you say the New York Yankees have, what, 27 world championships? What do they have? They, oh, the Yankees have 27. There's no no doubt about that. I mean, you know, when you start looking at MLB and, and their long history, yes, the Yankees have 27. But as you go down the list, you know, you have the Cardinals. Here, I'll pull this up. The Cardinals have 11. The mm-hmm. A's have 9. The Giants have 8. The Red Sox have 8. The Dodgers have 6. The Reds have 5. The Pirates have 5. The Tigers have 4. The Braves have three. I mean, yes, one team, the Yankees, I understand. Which And don't forget, that that was before uh, black people and Latino people, many of those, I'm not saying they aren't a great mm-hmm. franchise, were before they were even allowed to play. Mm-hmm. So you'd almost mm-hmm. have to start, uh, you know, so, you'd almost have to so start that, at 1960. It's definitely something you got to think about there, you know, no yeah, doubt about that. you'd have to start at 1960, in my opinion, almost, or, you know, maybe 1950, I could say, because Robinson broke in. So if you went back to 1950 and looked, it might be a more, you know, uh, realistic, you, you know, cross-section of what, what's happened. And, and, and I'm just I wonder what happens, though. I wonder what happens, though, if you start thinking about, uh, you know, if you pull in numbers from prior to the Super Bowl and and who who were winning championships then, I wonder if that changes anything. I understand that you'd be excluding uh, several of the teams that are participating in the league now. Well, right, you only had twelve or thirteen teams. We could certainly we could. That's certainly... also the case in in Major League Baseball. They've had a number of new teams a- added over the years. Right. Um, so I know perhaps something. I'm not even arguing um, that baseball. I mean, I, I mean, I'm telling you, Jason Stark writes that piece every year about currently mm-hmm. you have more parity in baseball. I'm not even saying all long term. All I'm trying to say is that if you look, the NFL kind of sells a story that's not really true. I mean, it, it's like saying that anybody can win the NBA championship because guess what? Uh, you know, the Wizards, who happen to be pretty good this year, but normally aren't, the mm-hmm. Wizards can get in the playoffs. Well, yeah, they can get in the playoffs usually and play in an 8-1 game and lose. <laughs> and so, um, yes, you are right, but uh, I don't know. There, I guess in every league, in, in every league, you got you have teams that just you, you know at the beginning um, aren't going to have a chance. Having said that, in baseball, that team every year used to be the Kansas City Royals, who made themselves all the way to the end. Let's talk about let's talk about the future for the Seattle Seahawks uh, going forward. Um, you know, I, I put out a tweet yesterday, and it was uh, basically the Seattle Seahawks 2015 NFL Draft, and I put rounds one through seven and put a receiver for each one of those draft picks. But in all uh, reality, what are, what are they looking at going forward? I know you're a guy that plays pays attention to contracts and you know who's going to be on the team, who's not going to be on the team. Uh, what are they looking for there? And then I think you and I can agree they need they need if not if not two at least one big time playmaker at the wide receiver position. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first big thing is Lynch. I mean, where does he go from here? What's his mindset? I mean, you know, does he look and say, okay, I got a Super Bowl? He's an odd cat. Damn. Does he say, damn, well, I could have had two? 
they wouldn't hand me mm-hmm. the ball from a yard out? Does he just go and get the money? I mean, that's that's my question. Is he, is mm-hmm. he just going to say, hey, the Raiders will pay me. I'll go play there. I don't care. I, I don't know his mindset right now. I think that's that's very well. Big I don't know that there are many out there that do know his mindset. Let's go on the assumption that his uh, career has been made as a Seattle Seahawk and that he would look to stay with those group of guys because they really seem to understand him. He vibes with them. He gels with them. And I have a feeling that that means a lot to someone like a Marshawn Lynch. So if you continue to have that in the backfield, and right now doesn't show any signs of slowing down. I mean, he dishes out the punishment, he takes it, and he just gobbles yeah. it up like he gobbles up Skittles. So it doesn't look like he's slowing down right now. Um, from the Seahawks' end, you keep Marshawn Lynch, but it would be really, really nice if on the edges you can get guys that could win one-on-one matchups. Do you remember the early uh, first I may have been the second series where Russell Wilson had about 10 seconds on, on about two pass plays. Yes, I do remember that. And still and nobody got over. those guys just could not get any separation at all whatsoever. You can't survive if that is the case, okay? Someone's going to – you're going to get beat along the way. You're not going to make it back to another Super Bowl if that is the case. Here's what I'd like You've to see them do. One wide receiver, and I'd like to see them add a tight end who can – who can give him a, a safety blanket, you know, a safety mm-hmm. net underneath when, when, you know, when he gets in trouble where he could, you know, uh, I'm not saying you're going to go get a guy like Jimmy Graham or Gronkowski, they're special, but a guy mm-hmm. that could just be a nice target for him that he can, you know, dump it off to him and let him do his thing every once in a while. I'd like to see them get a tight end. I'd like to see them get a receiver outside. And then again, you know, you start to wonder, you know, the defense, you know, uh, it was good this year. I mean, better than everybody else's, but not what it was. So you wonder, you know, what do they do? Uh, I'm, I'm like this with them. I think you can invest in the kid, Chris Matthews, that showed you he can play when the lights are on, uh, certainly has all of the physical tools. So you can invest in that guy. And that's something Pete Carroll has been very good at, being able to get a lot out of players like like that. Um, so I think you can invest in that guy. You get yourself, as you said, another another. Um, one-on-one matchup winner out on the edge, and you definitely do need a tight end. You need that, especially when you have a quarterback like a Russell Wilson. You get that. Uh, I would also like to see the Seahawks go see if they can get another companion on the other side of Richard Sherman. Maxwell's fine, serviceable. Um, That's great when he was, you know, I mean, look at what happened when you got the guy hurt that had the interception early in the game. You just didn't. You got you brought guys in the game that could get picked on. I mean, Theral Simon had a decent career at LSU, but uh, I don't know that he's your guy there. He, maybe he's a backup guy that you bring in when you're in trouble. But let's let's get let's get another star on that other side because I mean the Seahawks were hell to deal with when Browner was on the other side of of Richard. I, I, I nice really to get another guy like that. It seems like and I have a feeling because I know you're a big fan. Too. I mean, listen, well, I am too. I like Pete, but. I have a feeling this loss is going to be harder for them to come back from than people imagine. Here, I mean, here, here's what I just said to somebody this morning. We think about football. Well, you and I don't because we do it, you know, year round. But most people think about football now, not a lot between now and July. You know, they may wish they could watch a game or something. But most sports fans are on to whatever their thing is. They're going to go watch the NCAA basketball tournament or. They're baseball fans, whatever it happens to be. These guys think about football all the time. It's their job. That's a very hard mm. loss to recover from because now you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, i got to go through all this again mm. just to get back to where I was. Yeah. And I was within very, one yard. Very difficult. 
of being a back-to-back Super Bowl champion. It is hard. It is hard when you climb that mountain and you get knocked off of it like that to go back and climb it again. And one of the more difficult things is being able to be um, as invested and interested in the regular season, that climb. It is very difficult to to be fully engaged in that and get yourself back up. I mean, that's even after you've won a Super Bowl. Uh, you've seen guys mess around during the regular season because uh, you just want to get to the end. But uh, it's the it's 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 even worse for you when you have a loss like that. It's like man, you know. And I think uh, there's like certain to climb teams Mount that, Everest. See, I think there's certain teams the regular season means even more to because of the way they play at home. For instance, mm-hmm. Seattle, Green Bay, Indy, and Denver are four teams that come to mind. Those two, those teams, to me, their regular season means more than everybody else's because when they're home, they're completely different teams. Mm-hmm. True. Than, than when no they're on the road. No doubt about that. Yeah, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see how they snap back and bounce back from that. Uh, you know, the roster makeup is going to have a lot to do with it for uh, for Seattle, so it's certainly something that we uh, are going to have to keep our eyes on. Uh, the New do you remember, State- wait, before we get off this, do you remember last year we had this same conversation, and I think you agreed with me. I had looked at the 49ers and said, okay, they got there three years ago, and they, they had the muff punt they lost to the Giants. Then they got inside the five-yard line and threw five passes instead of running four passes. Instead of running Frank Gore, they lost to the Ravens. Then they came within the Richard Sherman batted away ball from the 20-yard line when they tried that ball to the back of the end zone, and they went home. And I said, you know what, I just don't know if they can recover from that. And you, I think you agreed with me. We were both talking. I said, yeah, I'm just not sure. able to do that. No. Yeah. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Typically, history has shown that you don't. Uh, really come back from from that stuff. So uh, I think what Seattle probably wants to build here is something like what New England has had. You're in the mix every year, and, you know, a bounce here or there, and you're back into the Super Bowl. That's what New England has been able to put together, and that's part of what I want to talk about here before we go into our next break. Where does this victory here put the uh, New England Patriots? Because let's look at this thing now. You had you, We'd even spoken about this uh, during this uh, during the show, you mentioned this earlier about you like domination. Uh, well, the Patriots have been none of that when it comes to Super Bowls. They've all been late, last-minute wins. And though they've continued to make it to Super Bowls, six of them I guess they've been to, and they've won them, now four of them, where do they fit, though, in the dynasty? Are they are they the San Francisco 49ers who had gone to uh, several Super Bowls and had dominated teams um, you know, they've had several blowout wins. Are they the Pittsburgh Steelers? Are they better than, you know, the Cowboys dynasty from the 90s where they went out and punched teams in the face and they had no chance? Where do you put New England in all this? Well, it depends what you're 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 looking at. I mean, the way I look at it is I'm going to give you the baseball analogy because you like baseball. There's mm-hmm. guys I've always felt guys belong in the Hall of Fame for how they dominate during their peak years. In other words, if you're five or six best years, you were one of the three best players or the best player in baseball, you're a Hall of Famer. There's guys that are accumulators, as you know. Guys will go out and every year, you know, they'll hit 25 homers and they'll drive in 95 or maybe once in a while 100 runs, and they're very good players. Mm-hmm. But they're consistent. There's something to be said for that, but to me, you're, that does, accumulator doesn't make you a Hall of Famer. Now, 
the Patriots' domination is their consistency. For 15 mm-hmm. years, they've been the most consistent franchise in the NFL. So if you're asking me, are they great? Yes. Not because they of the close Super Bowl wins. A win is a win. I get that. But they're great because they've been consistent, and that's where their their greatness and their domination is. But if you're asking me, and again, we're parsing, you know, you start separating – they're not with those teams you just named because the 49ers, the Steelers, and the Cowboys dynasties were dominant. When they were done, you were left with no doubt. I mean, you didn't say, geez, if this ball bounced that way, or you know, maybe the fan of the other team could make that argument. But most uh, you know, objective observers with you know, no skin in the game would look and say, no. And you look at the Steelers, the two close Super Bowls they did win were against mm-hmm. an all-time great team in the Cowboys. I mean, mm-hmm. they won two four-point Super Bowls, but they were against the Cowboys, who went to five of them themselves in that era. Yeah, I am. Uh, here, here's here's why I am with it, and you can chime in on this. I'm I'm my all-time greatest Super Bowl dynasty is are the 49ers of the '80s um, because of how many times and and the dominance that they showed in it. Um, I would go with the Steelers second over what they did in the '70s. And then when it comes to a third and fourth place, I'm I'm back and forth on it. I don't know if it's the Cowboys because you know the Cowboys did win, uh, what they win three Super Bowls there, um, and, in four and years, in in four years, in four years. But there's a length of time that's run here on the New England Patriots. Yes, uh, they were late victories, all of them. Um, but the amount of time that the New England Patriots have been good. Um, and we're talking about a decade now between these two Super Bowl wins. Uh, I'm having a hard time putting them behind the Cowboys. I, I kind of got them in third, and that Cowboys in the 90s a very close fourth. I don't know if you agree with that. Hmm. Um, well, the Cowboys of the 90s, let's from 1991 through 1998, were, made the playoffs seven out of eight years, won their division six years, mm-hmm. and played in four NFC Championship games and three Super Bowls and won all three. Um, you know, like I said, if you're talking about, for, if you want to go 15 years, if that's what you're counting, yes. But if you're saying uh, at their best, that's how I, I mean, mm-hmm. I view baseball the same way. At their very best, the Cowboys were better. At their very so best. If you say, give 2000 me. To two, 2000 to 2010, what did the Patriots do? And I don't have that in front of me, so I'm asking legitimately if you know that. Oh, the Patriots, uh, they went to five Super Bowls and won four of them. Or won three I of mean, them. Won three of them. Did they, did they, did they get to uh, – how many championship games did they get to? I don't think they lost AFC championship game during that run, did they? Mm, I'm not sure. But, I mean, you know, they were probably in uh, – let's, let's throw one. Maybe we're forgetting a, uh, AFC. Oh, they might have lost that one to the Colts, if you remember, when the Colts finally beat the Bears. So they might have been to six AFC championship games. And how many did you say the Cowboys had been to? Four. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I do put the Cowboys third. Cause I mean, I, I Chad, like I'm not arguing. Listen, I mean, we're splitting hairs. All I'm telling you is I'm, I'm a domination guy. But we have to rank. It is I'm necessary a, I agree. for us to I'm rank. I'm a domination guy. When I say that, I say that at their best, the Cowboys were just a far more dominant team. I mean, they were There's no question playing, about that. Yes. They were playing there, in an no era. Question. Don't forget, the 49ers were still great then. The 49ers mm-hmm. won a Super Bowl in 94. They were beating – a 49er team in 1992 that mm-hmm. finished the season 14 and 2 to get to the Super Bowl the Cowboys had to beat them in San Francisco 
They had to beat well, the let's look at what year. let's look at what New England did. I mean, New England pretty much extinguished what was going to be a dynasty uh, for the Rams. I mean, they extinguished that. The Rams were a dominant football team for those, at least for those three years. Um, they won that Super Bowl. They were coming back again, and had they won that, uh, they they videotaped well. them and had a guy hit a hit a field goal. The oh, Cowboys walked into now. San Francisco and beat them by ten <laughs> points on their home field. Oh, with you're going to pull the who's video a Hall of Famer the... playing quarterback on their home field. Do you believe? How much do you believe that 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 whole um, you know? I don't know what I believe. I just know this: they weren't confident enough to play without doing it. That's all I'll say. I'm not saying in reality it may not have helped them, but psychologically, it's like you and I used to talk about the steroids. I'm not so sure steroids in baseball actually physically made guys hit the ball further. What it did is two things. One, when they got injured, they didn't stay injured very long. They were able to recover quicker. And two, they thought they were better, which is important in a game. When Barry Bonds went up there on roids, he thought, son of a bitch, you could throw that 100 miles an hour on the inside, and I'm going to turn this on this ball, and I'm going to hit it into that lake out there behind the fence. Right? Uh, very, very true. Hey, listen, there was two things when Barry stepped up to the plate. And, at, man, at, at his peak, he just damn well knew it. It almost got boring for him. Either you are going to throw four balls way into the other batter's box, and I'm going to walk down to first base, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trot around and touch all these damn bases. That's really just what's going to happen here right now. So pick and choose. And, and, he was a, and here's my point with Barry. Barry was a great player. He didn't need the steroids. He was great before them. But when he took them, he actually, you could see the cha- I mean, it was just like, I remember when Gagne was, was still throwing. player in a video game, no doubt about it. Yeah, when Gagne was throwing 100, I saw him throw a ball 100, 99 or 100 miles an hour, and Barry Bonds almost hit it out of Dodger Stadium. <laughs> he pulled it. He pulled it. He pulled it. He, he, he pulled it and hit it off the foul pole. Uh, and that's and what right, I feel so about the Patriots. Awesome. I don't think they need it necessarily, but they thought they did. And that, to me, tells me something. They, they well, thought okay. they did. Real quick, because I, you know, I don't know that I want to launch into a whole baseball no. discussion, but what do you think that says about you know, Barry Bonds, who, by the way, I totally 100% understand why he took it. Okay? I was a pretty damn good baseball player in 1994, and all everyone wanted to talk about were these two guys that I know are roid monsters going back and forth every damn afternoon and evening. Well, you just hit the nail on the head. Barry Bonds didn't take it because he wasn't good enough. He was already the best player in the game. He got sick of hearing about two guys who weren't even close to him in talent get all the headlines when he was already the best yeah, player you in the see game. Steroids? I'll show you steroids. Yeah, I'll show you steroids too. You want you want to see what happens when you take these things. You think you think the Popeye over there can hit homers. I'll show you what homers are. I mean you know yeah, I mean that, serious. that was funny. That's that's what yeah. went down there. I mean it was like okay Eric Gagne's on steroids or I think he was. I shouldn't say that I don't know. You know, but everybody, the pitchers, everybody's on roids, well I'll take roids. I'm not taking them now, yeah. I'm the best player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you guys, you know, you understand. You want to see something? I'll show you something. I think that's, that's how it right. that went down. All right, but I don't We're think the Patriots are in the same league as that. I think the Patriots are no, run I by. Agree. A, I agree with. Yeah, you. they're run by a guy who's very paranoid. He he would be the Richard Nixon of coaching. Yeah, no, no doubt, no doubt. So maybe I do slide the Cowboys uh, into third over the New England Patriots on that one. But let, let's uh, jump into a break. When we get back, there is another Super Bowl that's coming up. It's the Super Bowl. 
for the high school football players across the country. Emil and I will talk briefly about that, give you a little National Signing Day talk when we get back here for the final segment of the Gridiron Stud Show right after this. Um, anytime me and Scott Storch get together, we got to call us the Illuminati. Whenever you see the G, it represents God in geometry. The 7-on-7 season, summer basketball, family picnics, all around the corner, and you're paying big money for t-shirts from screen printers? Why? Screen printed t-shirts are costly when dug for small groups. They're limited in color unless you want to pay an even higher price. More colors mean higher prices. How do we solve this? Do it yourself at home with your inkjet printer and a hand iron. That's right, with heat transfer paper sold at t-shirtsupplies.com, you can design your own logos, Put any wording you want, print it on your inkjet print paper, and using the proper paper sold by t-shirtsupplies.com, you can get this the way that you want it. There's no limit to the amount of color or the design. You can transfer a photograph using this paper. It's great for team sports. It's great for family reunions. It's great for birthday grips. The t-shirt is part of the American culture, and now you can design your own. Don't worry if you haven't done it before. T-Shirt Supplies has the first-rate customer service. They will help you get the paper you want for your project and steer you in the right direction. Visit them now at t-shirtsupplies.com. That's t-shirts, no hyphen, supplies, plural, all one word, dot com. Or call them at 1-877-857-2737. That's 1-877-85-PAPER. T-shirtsupplies.com. Go there now. To all you high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting. We got people visiting. We got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen. For the final segment of the Gridiron Stud Show, after the final game of uh, this football season, the 2014-2015 season, uh, we just had the Super Bowl. Uh, now it's time for us to talk a little bit about uh, where you know the part where the future Super Bowl participants may be coming from, and that will uh, that will be National Signing Day that's coming up here on Wednesday. Amal, I'm looking at something here. Um, looking at the, the rankings, the team rankings, the recruiting rankings uh, on rivals here, and you know, right now Alabama's the number one in the country uh, by a bit of a slim margin over USC. But it is interesting to see USC this high at number two without any five-star commits. That's quite rare, uh, especially when you look at yeah. number three, four, five, and six all have five stars committed to them. Well, one, it depends, obviously, and you know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It depends who you're looking at for five stars. I mean, according to other services, they have quite a few. Um, the kid from Utah, Osa, whatever his name is, the linebacker being one, and um, the the tackle from Georgia. But anyway, nonetheless, we're using rivals. So you're right. They have zero five stars. Here's the difference. What do they have, 17 four-stars in there? 
17 four stars. That's pretty and, damn and, you good know, if you got 17 four stars out. Stuff. You rattle that number out off the top of your head. Yeah, they are leading in four stars across the country. Well, 17 so. four stars out of 20 recruits I mean, yeah, you may not have, like you said, any of the five stars, but basically every one of your players, according to what they should be on paper, is a really damn good player. Yeah, um, Alabama's been at or near the top of this thing for for quite a few years. They continue to uh, reap the benefits of the championships that they've won and just the uh, solid job that they've done in uh, developing talent at Alabama for the college game. And so before anyone hops on me about the development ta- developing talent thing, because, you know, they're going to want to cite some of the failures of uh, Alabama prospects in the NFL, I'm talking about developing those players to be very good well, College yeah, and you know what's not fair is when you produce that many players going to the NFL over a period of time, there's there's bound to be a lot of failures. In other words, you know, it's the, not that the easy. The Miami Hurricanes of the uh, of the 80s and 90s and, two, and early 2000s would disagree with you, okay? I, I mean, understand, we, but we hit I'm on just all t- that when they went to the league. Am I right yeah. or wrong there, my friend? No, no. I mean, listen, and and that may be, uh, you know, you're using one of the programs. It's not the that norm, really, though, right? Not it's the not the norm. Not the norm. No, all I'm saying is Alabama's had some guys that do, did well in the pros, too. It's not like every one of them went there and washed out. No, uh, very true. Hey, listen, Clemson has all uh, has uh, you know done a very good job recruiting in uh, recent history. They find themselves up in this top five, top ten thing. At what point do uh, you start saying you want to see more in terms of on the field for Clemson? Uh, you know, why aren't we – uh, a little closer to beating Florida State. Granted, you had a close game this year, but we know Jameis wasn't there. And when right, you start to accept that you're gonna you're gonna keep finishing behind Florida State. I, I think at some point, like soon, you got to start saying, well, at what point does all the, all these recruiting classes translate into wins on the field? Yeah, meaningful wins. I mean, but why does he get NCAA these? Let me ask you, because you know more about this than me. I mean, you've been out on the <laughs> Don't trail go there and you understand, friend. I got, I don't know. I don't know. There's speculation, but you know, I always, you know, I've been in this thing hardcore and heavy for six years now, and Mm -hmm. you know, I want people to stop with this. They think one or two teams um, plays around with money in terms of uh, luring recruits. Okay, knock that off. There's this. You've got these teams in the top ten. They're there probably for a reason, and then you got teams that want to be in the top ten, and they're doing what they got to do to be in the top ten, and that's probably all that I'm going to say about that. No, but no, let Clemson, me ask you this. Is there something at Clemson? Clemson is nice, it, though. Clemson yeah, I mean, it's nice. a nice – I heard it's a very nice atmosphere. Is it something, do you think yes. – yeah, I mean, what, what gets the kids there? Let's forget the money stuff because, I mean, that, that we're, we don't want to speculate. I mean, what, from, what do you from think? From the offensive standpoint, from the right. offensive standpoint, they run a very good offensive system. So for wide receivers and quarterbacks and people of uh, that ilk, um, it does provide them an opportunity to play in a very – explosive, uh, wide-open system where their talents can be put on display. Uh, Defensively, um, they've not been all that great, but they've got some good minds there as defensive coordinators. Um, So it's a chance to, you know, be in something that could possibly down the road be something because, again, they've got good minds, well-regarded people on that side of the ball. And then as you touched on, um, overall, um, Clemson's a nice campus. They do support their football team. Uh, it's a really, really great atmosphere. You know, we've seen the pregame for some of their games, and I can remember the one against Florida State where it was a tremendous atmosphere. And if you're a college football player, that's something you want to be a part of. So uh, leaving all of the foolishness out of it, 
there are plenty of reasons that you want to go play uh, at Clemson right now. I've Why always felt some of these watching other them, places, though, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always felt watching them, though, um, they were one of those places where, one of those programs where I always felt like really nice program, uh, once in a while is going to step up and win 10 games. Most mm-hmm. of the time, they're 8-4. and four. I mean, that's always the way I felt about them. I don't know why. Yeah, Probably and I don't know all of these kids. I don't know that you make all these choices about where you have a chance to win a national championship. If you're doing that, you're probably your, your failure rate's going to be very, very high. All right, you have a chance to be in a winning program. Um, you have a chance to be kind of uh, almost in it, in the thick of it. You know, yep. um, thought of it. So, I mean, then if that's how your mindset is, then yeah. If you're thinking you're going to Clemson and you're going to win championships and be part of a dynasty, then you know you probably made. Uh, a wrong decision. Florida State's coming in at number four. They have the most five stars committed to them, five. It just seems like a lot of five stars want to run in that direction uh, to Florida State right now. And uh, Well, we know he can recruit, done. Chad. I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's a recruiter. I mean, he's very good at it, Fisher and his mm-hmm. staff. We're going to find out, in my opinion, I think you share this opinion as Kenny Coach now, because you know, Winston was a once once in a you know a co- usually once in a tenure kind of find. I mean, he's he was mm. he's going to be if he keeps his head on straight, should be a special player at the next level. Mm. Um, so we're going to find out, I think, if what kind of coach Fisher is. I know he can recruit. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, that's the the proof is in the pudding in terms on the recruiting, and I am like many others. Very interested in seeing what Florida State is with Jameis Winston gone. It's clear that what they were with him there, um, but I am t- terribly interested in, in seeing that. Uh, I will give Jimbo some credit, Calls make some good play calls, has some nice play designs, but that's not all there is to football, so we're definitely going to find out on that. Tennessee, um, another another school that recruits very well that doesn't seem to be on their way or in the thick of uh, a championship run. I will say this. Mm, let's be fair now. Stop, 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 because you like Butch, and let's be fair. They mm-hmm. they were down for a little while, so he's going to take – this is probably, his, if I go look, probably his third good class in a row. We mm-hmm. should start to see the results soon, hopefully for him, because – yeah, and I, was, getting... and, I was, uh, and I was making this point. Tennessee fans are very good when it comes to recruiting. Uh, they really get behind it. They do a very good job of uh, supporting um, the recruiting efforts of the staff, um, and, and they pack the house every week. Okay, UNLV comes to town. There's 80, 90 in the stands there. They right. don't have a problem with support, so you've got to love that. Uh, Georgia's number six. So all you know, already we've got three SEC teams in the top six here. Georgia's another one. Georgia kind of like Clemson. At what point now you keep bringing in these recruits and these top stars? When is it going to be not okay that we're not challenging for a championship? Apparently, like never because Rick. he's been. How long has Rick been there? He's been there a long time. So I don't think a, you know a good little while. And Emil, I don't have a problem with that. No, no, it's not like you know, listen. I, they're good every year. They win their nine, their ten games. I can't kill the guy. Now, he has probably more talent uh, in terms of, if you really look, I mean, he should probably be doing more than he's doing. I think we could both agree mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, and it's, I mean, hard, to, it's hard to pinpoint uh, why he doesn't. You know, you probably need to really get in there and analyze. Off the top of my head, I can't really say why uh, more doesn't happen with Georgia football in terms of being in the thick of a national championship than there is. But well, they find a way every year to lose a couple games to teams that have far less talent than them. 
Yeah, it's almost like uh, kind of what you got going on with Oklahoma right now. Number seven is Urban Meyer over there at Ohio State. Uh, you're coming off the national championship. Be interesting to see what they do here in these last few weeks with a couple of guys that are on the fence. Uh, you would think winning a national championship should knock those guys over onto your side, but uh, you know it's interesting that they're there at number seven and maybe. Well, they have a big one announcing three. tomorrow. Um, this is this is going to be interesting. Uh, and I, I don't know how you say. It. Is it Porter Gustin? Is that his last name? I, I believe you made a good run at that there. Yes. Yeah, did I did I make a decent that. run at that? Yes. Yeah, He's going to he announce, <laughs> I believe, Tuesday night. He wants to get in front of it and you know. I guess we'll get, get some, a whole day to himself. But he's going to announce, mm-hmm. and uh, his three choices uh, come down to USC, Ohio State, and I believe Arizona State. He's from the state of Wisconsin. Uh, I think that what people consider this to be is he, he's a USC lean, but I think Ohio State's closing fast on him. So it'll be interesting to see just you know where he ends up. I mean, that, we're going to find out tomorrow for Urban. Yeah, it's uh, difficult to... To, you know, Urban's a very good recruiter, man, and he, you know where he's very good. He's very good with the parents. He's very good in getting into the home and, uh, you know, winning over parents. So, um, you know, parents are going to be a big part of a decision. You know, you, Ohio State stands a good chance. But more and more, especially down here, that's not even the case. You never know who the heck's going to help with a decision, especially the kids down here in South Florida. You're thinking it's mom and dad and it's an uncle or an aunt or, you know, a pastor or a mentor or, you know, some dude that has not doing cone drills on a Saturday afternoon, it's hard to find out who the decision maker Well, you would think with this kid he's got a really good here. shot. You would think he's got a great shot with this kid because, um, you know, the kid is from Utah, so it's not like he's fighting USC in their own backyard, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and he coached at Utah, and, you know, the kid's listed as the, the number one ranked inside linebacker prospect here on Rivals. Um so he's six five two thirty seven. So whoever mm-hmm. gets him should be happy. At least on paper, he looks like a player. Um, we'll see. I mean, that's going to be interesting yeah. tomorrow for. Urban. Well, ru- well, running out of time here, and I want to touch on one thing just to round out the top ten for you. Texas is eight, Notre Dame nine, Texas A and M ten. But I don't know if you've had a chance to watch the show be- uh, that highlights the uh, journey for uh, you know Snoop Dogg and his son. Uh, as you know, Snoop Dogg is a big USC supporter, and I was, you know, I had a chance to see it for the first time this weekend, a couple of episodes, and you know, I'm noticing that the son wants is, is kind of saying he's thinking he needs to get out of uh, Los Angeles, you know, like LA is really all his dad, and he kind of wants to move out of that, uh, though he's considering UCLA. And deep down inside, another dad wants the kid to go to USC. Do you have any thoughts on that, and what do you what do you, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, I I mean. I, I have a feeling uh, if Dad has any say, he won't end up at UCLA. He'll probably end up, I think, at Arizona State. That would be my guess. Mm-hmm. I just had to take an educated guess. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I don't know enough about the kid as a player. I know he's a good player, obviously, if he's getting recruited by those schools, but I'm not sure USC wants him, really. I mean, I don't mean that he's not a good enough player, but I think at that position, he's a receiver. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think they're pretty set at receiver at this point, so... Yeah, they got two. Um, they got two JC top fifties coming in, big six foot four type of uh, Dwayne Jarrett type guys to go with you know the Juju Smiths and Stevie Mitchells and those guys out there. So I think that that's kind of where they wanted to take the receiver class this this year. So I'm not mm-hmm. sure he's really. It's, it's not a knock on him. I'm just not sure he fits what they're looking for. I mean, they they had a kid decommit down your way that ended up at Central Florida. 
um, that yeah. was more of a normal, what I'll call a normal size receiver. So I'm just, I just think they wanted a couple big guys out to to put in the stable of receivers. So I think he'll end up at Arizona State. That's going to be my my educated guess. Yeah, and I'd venture to say that they wouldn't turn down uh, a commitment from from uh, you know Snoop Dogg's kid. From a, you know, so you know, they're, well, they're hoping the they don't thing, find Chad. themselves in that situation. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. But I'm saying is, I don't think they, on the surface, if you could take them all, I'm sure they wouldn't turn them down. Um, mm-hmm. It's a numbers thing. I mean, we talked about this. They don't do the whole gray shirt, blue shirt, whatever shirt that you're talking about. So they've got uh, four more spots in this class. They're in on Gustin, they're in on Houston, they're in on Marshall, they're in on Green and a couple other kids. So, you know, they may have a couple other guys that they need to decommit if they ever got lucky and ran the table. So I'm just I think they just they're out of space if that you know what I'm trying to say? They're out of space. Yeah, for what no, they I need. definitely get that. And that's the case for a lot of these schools right now. They're juggling. They've got more guys on the hook uh than they can pull onto uh onto the deck of the of the boat here, and that's the big fight that you're gonna have here for the next forty eight hours. For those of you who don't are new to this whole recruiting thing, that's what it is for some of these bigger schools. Uh, that's the fight that they're going on, and they're going to spend, uh, you know, the next couple of days trying to figure out who exactly they are going to land and uh, manage their numbers. Uh, Let me ask you about they, fans before we go, because you're yeah. good at this. Mm-hmm. You talk to the fans. You're always interactive, and you're in on this mm-hmm. recruiting. What is it with fans that want to hate on a kid if he doesn't go to their school? In other words, like, you know, I'm a USC fan. They're not going to get every kid, okay? I understand mm-hmm. that. If Marshall decides that he doesn't want to go to USC, well, well you mm-hmm. know, it would seem logical that he would since he's in their backyard. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to hate on the guy. I mean, mm-hmm. Why is have it the fans you, are like that? Have, have you been to a football game and seen a bad play called for a team and then the fans' reaction? Yeah. Have you seen someone it's wide open for a team and a guy drops the ball? Yes. Have you seen the reaction? There is no difference to a kid changing his mind or that event. It's extreme disappointment and people are going to let off with whatever their emotion, their feeling is at that time, and that's what happens. And that's the thing about Twitter and social media. It doesn't allow any buffer time between what you are instantly feeling and then what you instantly put out there, and that's exactly what happens. They're, they're thoroughly crushed when a player does not choose their school, and they're going to lash out, and they lash out at the kid. And, and, and it's, I'm happy you brought that up um, because we do have a situation like that down here. Jordan Scarlett, uh kid – that uh, I coached at university school, decommitted from the University of Miami yesterday, and they came after him hard and heavy. And as you know, uh, Miami fans are are teetering on the brink of total insanity at this point right now anyway. And losing Scarlett, who's the crown jewel of the the recruiting class, basically, um, set them into a frenzy on a Sunday. And, you know, they went wild, and the attacks came, and and that's just what it is. It's just yet another disappointment for them, and they're attacking him. By the way, just announcing this for our listeners here, Jordan Scarlett will make his uh, decision tonight at 7 p.m. Uh, check for foxsports.com for the exact uh, link for the uh, location of that announcement. But it will be at 7 p.m. He will be on with uh, Kavita Shan from Fox, and he will be making his decision. He will be choosing between... Florida State, Florida, and also Miami, according to him, even though he decommitted yesterday. Go figure on that one. But uh, we saw a, a, a strong example of what you just talked about yesterday by him decommitting. And Amal, all I all I could say is that's what it is. It's just I understand. I understand disappointment, you know, right? But you know, I, I read these message boards like you do, and I mean, some of the things fans say, they'll, they'll start telling you how the kid's not going to be any good. It's like, well, wait a second. 
Oh, that's instantly. Yeah, we didn't really yeah. want him anyway. I think 24 hours ago he was on your team and you were thrilled to have him. So, you, you know, it would be like me coming on here Friday if Marshall decides to who I you know follow USC recruiting if he decides to go to Michigan or Oregon. And I tell you, well, he's not going to be any good anyway. Yes, he is going to be. I think he's going to be good. Now, I hope he ends up on my team. <laughs> yeah, you're hoping to God. It goes from that to the kid wasn't that good and someone's going to lay out all his weaknesses for you to uh, the extreme where they say, I hope he breaks a leg. I hope he gets yeah. I've seen the crazy things. Uh, they've wished death on a recruit. It's college football, man. It's what it is. And that's the whole recruiting game. And that's the world that we live in. People's uh, lives, really, some of them revolve around the uh, the college football team and what the heck they're going to do. And you know, yeah, listen, we can't we can't do anything about it. We can only hope to try and uh, understand it in some way, shape, or form. But it is what it is, and the madness is really going to go down. Uh, this is promising to be one of the more crazy signing days. Well, you'll be on tomorrow. I'm coming back Friday. I want to talk about, you know, I won't have a chance to comment tomorrow, but I want to see what happens Wednesday. Maybe we could talk about how these classes shape up and, you know, what we see, and we'll go through it in a little bit more in depth since uh, I don't think there'll be any NFL scandal between now and then, I'm hoping. Oh, don't you hold on to that. You could lose good money betting on that one. Uh, Friday would be a good time. The smoke will have cleared off of National Signing Day, and things could have settled, and we could probably make a more educated uh, analysis of what took place on uh, Wednesday. So looking forward to having you on on Friday. As I've told you, I I am on tomorrow with the National Signing Day Eve show. Please stay tuned to me on Twitter uh, and Facebook about the actual time for that show. Looking forward to doing it. I will let you know. But uh, we'd like to thank you all for listening into this show. We'd like to thank you all for listening in uh, during this entire 2014 and 15 football season. Thank you for making us a featured show on Blog Talk Radio. We thank you. And uh, bring friends with you. The more that listen, the merrier. For Emil Calamino, I'm Chad Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Gridiron Stud Show. We'll see you guys tomorrow. Same, same dial. You high school recruits out there, you want to get recruited by the colleges? Step up and visit GridironStuds.com today. We got college coaches visiting, we've got people visiting, we've got fans visiting. If you want to be seen, get your video up there right now. It's easy. Create a profile. Takes two minutes. Stop playing games. Get off of Facebook. Take control of your future. GridironStuds.com is where you need to be today. Visit now. Set your profile up and let yourself be seen.